0: Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the podcast where we put some clear water between you and your worries by talking about someone else's. I'm Fern Cotton and today we're back on the road as we meet journalist and author and my great friend, Bryony Gordon.
1: Talking about stuff is the only way you get better from a mental health Mm. issue because you no know one's ever got better from one by not telling anyone Bryony
0: is one of the seven wonders of the modern world she is absolutely hilarious and also at times very sweaty so this might be one for the headphones but i can't wait for you to hear her hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot And now, recorded live with an intimate audience in Somerset, here's the show. So, for this extra special episode of the podcast, I wanted to interview someone that I think is brilliant and that I love, who is a friend, but also someone that I massively admire for a plethora of things that she does.
1: But they weren't available. <laughs> so
0: I called Bryony.
1: Um,
0: Bryony Gordon, everyone. Hi! Yay. Briony is amazing. I'm sure you all know. She's run marathons, she's done it in her underwear. She's interviewed Prince Harry about mental health on her own podcast. She's done so many brilliant things. So I'm very happy to have her here with us all this evening.
1: Briony! You've interviewed Prince Harry four times. Yeah. Neither of us got invited. (laughs) To the wedding. We're not bitter about it at all, but we have talked about it for the last two hours. (laughs) We've got a theory that there was only space for one blonde person with a mental health podcast on their guest list and that they thought, oh, it, it would be terrible, we can't just invite one of no. them, so we'll invite neither of them yeah. and instead we'll make them both godmother to our firstborn to make up for it.
0: Yeah, so we've very much envisaged that happening in the future. (laughs) It will definitely not happen. Total fantasy. Um, So for those people either here or listening to this who haven't read your phenomenal book, Mad
1: Girl... Is it possible to summarise what that book's about? Um, it's about me. Mm. Uh, most things I write are about me. Um, but it's about... Sorry, that sounded really awful. <laughs> it's, it's like... It's kind of... Oh, it's so weird, Mad Girl, because I wrote it a couple of... Oh, gosh, over a couple of years ago now, and it, it literally broke me writing it. and But it also sort of made me, um, like, career-wise and helped me so much in terms of my own recovery. So it's, it was um, it basically, oh, kind of how I kind of summarise it was I'd written a book called The Wrong Knickers, which was all about my kind of crazy 20s. And that came out and it did well. And I thought I'd sort of got all my demons under control because I got married and had a baby. And obviously those are the things that to- they will do for you, what, you know, a good solid course of therapy and, Ooh. you know, and a, a spell in rehab will do for everyone else. You know, I was like, yeah, I've really got it sorted yeah. now. Yeah. And then I had um, a breakdown, which was like my sixth or seventh in since I was sort of 12. And um, I wrote about it in my Telegraph column about this form of OCD I have called Pure O, which is a sort of really dark form of OCD, which... When I sort of try and dis- describe OCD, because everyone... I used to say, oh, I've got OCD, and people would be like, oh, yeah, me too. You should see my sock drawer. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, it's always it's the sock that. drawer. Yeah, And I, like, you can't see my sock drawer because I don't have one, because, like, I've just got a floor robe, <laughs> Just stuff all over the floor. And my husband sometimes jokes, he's like, I wish you had the good type of OCD. But there is no good type of OCD, no. obviously. But this this form... Um, like, I describe OCD, so I've gone completely off track No, here. this is what we want. This is good. Um, the, this... Um, um, I describe OCD as kind of like your your brain refusing to acknowledge what your eye can see be it that your hands are clean or the oven's off or the iron's off or the hair straighteners are off or um, that the house is not on fire or that you haven't just like run over a child in the road it's just a speed bump and there's Um, there's also this form where you have intrusive thoughts. Like we all have intrusive thoughts, right? We've all, we we all have hundreds and thousands of thoughts every day, but we don't, we're not, we are not our thoughts, right? Um, And we've all had that thought, haven't we? Where we're like, what if I just push this man under a tube? Yeah. Or is that just me? No, no, absolutely no. What What if I steered off
0: to the left and knocked that yeah, like poor yeah, yeah, old lady over? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or, or
1: what if someone hands me their baby and I just, like, Drop threw it. the baby on the floor and then kicked it across the room like a football? Do you know, like I,
0: get this, I, I get this on live TV. This what, is bad. Like, think, say if I'm... I've been on Lorraine or whatever. And you think
1: you're going to call her something terrible? I'm going to
0: shout something. Or What if I just sort of give her a little slap around the face.
1: I'm, I'm not the- going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Don't, but it's a, it go, it's
0: in my head. I'm on Lorraine next
1: don't, week. Don't please. Me. <laughs> <laughs> next week they do it. But it's very much like it's a, a total but we all yeah, know that most of us know that they are just thoughts. Yeah. Whereas someone with pure O is like, "Oh my god, I got that they're so distressed by the yeah. thoughts that they, you know, they they spend a lot of time kind of trying to prove to them they are, that they are not their thoughts." So I had this form of OCD, which basically made me think I was a serial killing paedophile and that I had blanked it out in shock. And because I'd sort of, you know, I would sort of see a child walking down the road and be like, what if something, ter-, you know, like really distressing stuff. Mm. Or um, when I was 17, I thought I had murdered, I was like, I'd murdered people and like blanked it out in shock. And I would like check the newspapers, see know, one had died in my area. And. It was just, it was like really, really difficult. And so my whole life was kind of, like I was sort of kept, was tortured by pure O. And, and when, when I had that breakdown after The Wrong Knickers came out, it was sort of manifested itself in the worst possible way, which was that it said, what if I had hurt my own child? And at that point, I was like, enough, I can't yeah. I can't allow this to carry on. And I can't allow my own child to grow up in a world where people don't talk about mental illness, where you have to, like, suffer it in silence. So I wrote a column about my form of OCD. And to credit to my employers, at the Telegraph, they put it in. They didn't kind of go, you can't write this. You mm-hmm. can't write that sometimes your brain tells you you're a serial-killing paedophile, they were like. And anyway, the column came out, and it was like the floodgates opened. I just got hundreds and thousands of letters and emails and messages on social media from people saying me too and if not ocd then some other form of mental illness and i sort of realized then that it's really really normal to feel weird right Mm. like the most really the weird the freaks are the people that claim to feel normal absolutely absolutely and um my publishers will like write a book about can you write a book about your um, mental illness so mad girl I wrote mad girl and it was a sort of I tried to pitch it as an upbeat book about depression my publishers were like yeah good luck with that (laughs) but it's it's sort of really, it was just, it I was me sitting down and pinning together all of the things that had happened through my life that hadn't felt quite right. So like the obsessive compulsive disorder. But then at like 17, my hair started to fall out. So like I've got, I get alopecia. So you can see this is terrible for the podcast audience. What I'm doing now is flashing my bald patch at the audience. It's quite small now, but... You know, that was obviously from stress. And then I got... And then I developed bulimia. And then in my 20s, I discovered sort of cocaine. No, I didn't sort of discover cocaine. I discovered cocaine. I definitely discovered it. And obviously, I discovered booze, like, at the age of four or something. (laughs) 14, sorry. And I was like, oh, like, let me tell you, cocaine does not solve your mental health issues. It does not. Don't do it. I've done all the cocaine, so you don't have to. And, um... And it, so I became like this sort of like snowball, like just like a magnet picking up metal shavings. I was like, fucking hell, just my life is such a fuck up. And of course, it's because mental mental illnesses, like, like most illnesses are incredibly treatable if you catch them early. So say one of us was diagnosed tomorrow with diabetes type 2, and we started eating healthy and exercising and taking our medication, the chances are we'd live quite a long and kind of healthy life, right? But if we didn't and we didn't get that diagnosis and we ignored it and we carried on eating crap and that so on and so forth we probably end up having a foot amputated you know and it's kind of the same with mental illness so you know what was what could have been treated or could have been you know I think my parents thought it was just a phase and of course it could have just been a phase it really could have just been a phase had I grown up at a time when Mm. There was a a knowledge of of mental illness. But instead, what happened was (laughs) it kind of spiralled. And, you know, it's only relatively recently that I've really... And since Mad Girls come out, actually, that I've really kind of got to grips with my recovery and got well, you know.
0: You know, it is an incredibly honest book, which is what makes it so amazing. You know, I read it just, you know, finding it so comforting to read because, you know, I've been pretty open about all my bits and bobs and I too have felt how cathartic that can be and how lovely it is in a a sort of sense of community to have other people talk to you. And it it Mm. starts a very interesting conversation. And I think being honest does kind of take you off on a weird and wonderful journey, whether you Mm. like it or not you know, like you say, the the, the floodgates opened mm. and and people come to you and want to talk. And and there's there's nothing negative about that. That is no. an absolutely brilliant thing. And I thank you personally for, for what you've done for mental health in that way. But have there ever been moments away from that and away from that lovely sense of community where you've thought, I wish I could retract a bit of that honesty? No. Or, no,
1: it's a good thing. Never, because honestly, my life has changed. Like, I've always been, like... I always thought I was quite an honest person because I, you know, I wrote this kind of part, this column at the Telegraph and I was, you know, about all my exploits. But really, I was, I was, the, that was sort of, I wasn't really being that honest. I wasn't talking about the kind of the cocaine behind it or the, the affairs with the married men or the, you know, just the, the, the misery. I, I couldn't, I could write, you know, I wrote in The Wrong Liquors about, you know, a man snorting coke off my boobs and picking up a, you know, a a colleague in an STI clinic, all of which happened, right? But I found it easier to do that than to talk about the shit in my head. And, you know, it was, like, really freeing. And in that process has enabled me to get really honest with myself. But also by doing that, like, I don't know any other way to be now, you know, and I don't, and I, and I, I spent, I suppose what happened was I spent a lot of my life, feeling like I was always a bit too much you know some people say that they feel less than or not enough I certainly felt that I was a bit too much like I couldn't play it cool with a guy I couldn't you know I wasn't I was a gobby cow you know and it was all of that you know like I was I, I was like God, oh, I wish I could I wish I could like play things by the rules and you know that like be hard played hard to get and all that I just couldn't do it I was like la. And um, and and suddenly and, you know, because it was not, you know, Britain, we grow up and it's anywhere, you know, you've got to be kind of quiet and you've got Mm. to be sort of, you know, you know, good girl and and uh, and mysterious and I couldn't do it. And and suddenly I was realising that actually there was great power in not being able to do that. Well, just being you. Yeah, just being myself. Yeah. And, and, and you know, suddenly things started to snowball in a, in a positive way. You know, I get lots of people telling me, thank you because I've got that type of OCD. But the more that people come to me and tell me their stuff, the more that I'm able to right-size the the illness and, mm. and, and realise that it's an illness like any other. And, you know, it's been incredible. Like, I feel like I have done a lot of, like, my recovery in in, like, public... And and still am actively doing it, mm. you know. So I got sober <clears throat> nearly nine months ago now, and you know I went, I took myself off to rehab because I realised that booze was a problem and I couldn't stop drinking, but I didn't want to drink anymore. And but I couldn't stop it, and I was like, okay, this is why, take a take a bit of your own advice and get some help, you know. And I and I did that in public, and I don't regret being honest about that either, you know, because I'm not ashamed, and I think a lot of this stuff you know, a lot of mental illness... Mental mental illness lives and thrives in shame Mm. and silence, right? So, like, what all mental illness has in common is that it lies to you. It tells you you're a freak. It tells you that you're alone. It tells you that nobody else is going to understand what you're going through, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and it keeps you there. It's like an abuser. It wants you to stay quiet. And the moment that you let the cat out of the bag, the moment that you tell someone, you may not immediately get cured and you may not ever get cured because, frankly, that's life. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) But you are on the road and there is no going back. There is no going back after that, you know. So talking about stuff is the only way you get better from a mental health mm. issue because no one's ever got better from one by not telling anyone about no, it. No, I
0: think that's always, that's a very game-changing moment, I think, mm. for anyone going through even if it's not a mental health issue, but a tough time. Yeah. I think the moment that you, even if it's reach out to one person and Mm. you might not even be asking for help, but just say something out loud, it's terrifying. but, But as you say, never a bad thing. And I certainly had that moment myself where... I spoke to one friend about lots of crap going in my head and shame and feeling like a freak and feeling alienated. And then when that is met with a cool, calm response mm. of, hey, you know, that's completely fine or I've been there too or whatever, the relief oh is palpable. And I think that's, you know, it's certainly a conversation that has grown over the last 12 months, momentum around... You know, honesty and talking to others seems to just have ramped up in the last... I mean, it's been certainly steady for five years, but the last 12 months it just seems like there's been a real breakthrough and that people do want to talk and that can only be a good
1: thing. Yeah, it can. And now now that people are talking, what we need to make sure is that the services are <laughs> yeah. there so that when they, if they decide to go to a doctor, that the doctor can then provide them with, you know with with the with the right care. So that's the next thing. But, you know, and I hear a lot of people over mental health awareness week this year, there are a lot of people going no talking isn't enough, you know. It's no good if I talk and then I can't get help, then it's useless. And I'm like, but it's not because the more we talk, the more that the powers, the people in positions of power know that they have to mm-hmm. they have to get better at this shit, yeah. you know. So, um it's incredible it's been incredible just to see in like the space of when i started writing mad girl you know just in the sp- yeah like you said in the space of like a year i mean in the space of 2 years mm. it's absolutely fucking can i swear yeah <laughs> it's absolutely fucking insane sorry also, without being without using a terrible pun um it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> mental Another i can't one. i can't believe it but mm. you know in the best possible way and
0: because there's lots of charities that you know like we're saying you know it, is it enough to just talk in some cases, yes. You know, if you go to loads of brilliant charities like Calm and Mind and Heads Together mm. that are doing great stuff with with mental health, and they have great support groups where even if you aren't mm. taking medication or seeing a doctor, you can sit and chat mm. to people that feel like a family and feel like they've actually got your back and that you're safe and protected, saying whatever you want and yeah. you're not being judged. And I think that's if it's not fully enough, it's certainly a bloody good stepping stone in the right direction
1: well yeah there's people that get sober entirely through uh, alcoholics anonymous or narcotics anonymous mm. they don't ever go into treatment you know and that's just a free thing it's that's available there mm. for you you know we do i do something so one of the things i started out while i was writing mad girl was um something called mental health mates which is i because i was out sort of running or attempting to run at that time and um and and I was listening, to, because I, was, I, I had to run. It was like a kind of, it was something I had to do. I had to get out of the house to prove to my mental illness that the world was still spinning, the world wasn't ending. And I was listening to this podcast, actually, about this writer called Carson McCullers, who wrote The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, and she tried to kill herself um, several times, and she died of alcoholism in her 50s. And there was this kind of archive audio footage of her, and it, she said, sometimes it feels... Like everyone's part of a we except for me. And it kind of totally took my breath away. And I looked around on Clapham Common, where I live in London, and there was like people playing football together. There was those strange people being beasted by the military, you know, fake military people. And there was, and I was like, why if we know, if we know that like one in four of the population. Yeah will experience mental health issues this year. And then we also know that exercise is good for mental health and getting out of the house. Why is there nothing like that? You know, so we, so I set up just on a whim, on a tweet, this Mental Health Meets thing, which is now thanks to loads of volunteers Huge. and people. It's all over the country. Know, and anyone can just go on the website, download a walk pack, and start one up in their area. And, you know, it's that. It's finding those communities and helping each other, really. Because... You don't, you know, there is just, you don't have to suffer in silence. You really don't.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Let's talk about running because I want to talk about that more. But I want to go back to the beginning of your running journey, which in classic briny style started with you saying, yes, I'll run a marathon. P.S. I've never run before.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting decision to make. Yeah, well, it was... It was. It was I was talking to the Duchess of Cambridge sure. at the time. <laughs> that might have had something to do with yeah. it. So you felt a, a small amount of royal pressure. I was just chatting to her, my mate Kate. Yeah. It was just very <laughs> casual. <laughs> very casual. She would have invited me to her wedding. So you would have <laughs> invited you. Um, no, I, was, I got invited to the launch of Heads Together, which... <sighs> Was, is the mental health charity spearheaded by the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry and um, this was two years ago and I went along it was at the Olympic Park and I was like well you can see I'm not like a, I'm not a slim girl I can barely breathe because this skirt is like digging into my chest right now but I was like really not a slim girl back then. I was like sixteen and a half stone, and um, I went along. and It turned out that you're like, why is she telling us how weight? It's got nothing to do with going to a mental health charity <laughs> launch. But no, but so and it turned out that the Heads Together was going to be the official charity of the London Marathon 2017, and I got introduced for reasons I still don't know why. I was invited to this thing. And then introduced to the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Like, I had a clue what I knew what I was doing. And, um, and, and I said, oh, it's going to, I said to, I said to Catherine, um, never call her Kate, it's Catherine. Catherine. Um. The Duchess? The Duchess. I said to the Duchess of Cambridge, um, <laughs> oh, you going to do the marathon. And she said, oh, no, I, I don't think I can because of security reasons. And I went, come on, if I can do it, <laughs> motioning to, like, my fuller figure, you can do it because, you know, she's not, doesn't have a fuller figure. And I was like, I don't know why I fucking just said that. I've never run yeah. a marathon. Like, I don't. And then someone from Head's Together went, oh, do you want to do the marathon? And I was like, yeah. And I remember going right. home and my husband being like, Bridie do you know how long a marathon is I'm like it's a long way. and i like do you know how long a marathon is he was like do you know that the first person to ever run a marathon died yeah. and then, so then he tells me the story of marathon and the guy he's the soldier, really encouraging you at this the point the soldier running from marathon to Athens or whatever. and I was like dude that was like before they had things like jelly babies and Fitbit and Fitbits, and, Fitbits. Yeah. and also he'd like fought a battle that morning yeah a going over stressed I was like this will be a peaceful Piss. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: So your first run you put on some Converse yeah. and in one of your husband's t-shirts <laughs> and thought it wasn't even, let's it was go.
1: It was worse than that Fern. What was it? It was worse than that. It were like ripped Converse. Right. They had like holes in the heels. They're not the running shoe of choice. <laughs> no. Like you don't you don't see like Mo Farah like just in some high tops. No. And uh but I, I was de- I was like I've got to go and try and do this because yeah. I've got to run a fucking marathon. Like my husband was literally like what are you? So just- that, that first run are you then thinking no but it gets worse because you mentioned God. that but you didn't mention that i got about 20 meters up the road in my husband's star wars t-shirt and tracks <laughs> and bums and these ripped converse and then i realized i was going to i realized then i was going to die yeah and i was like i need some water water i mean i'd literally not i'd literally not oh this is a good bit of the 10 book 10 i know where you're going yeah and i and i and i turned back to go and get like a vessel yeah. in which to carry some water thinking i'd have like an evian bottle or something in the fridge but didn't have anything so I had to get one of my daughter's Tommy (laughs) Tippy pink cups and then I went back out yeah and I was like I was like I must have run about I was like I must have run 10 miles I'd literally (laughs) run like half a kilometer (laughs) and um and I just thought I don't know how I'm gonna do this no but you did it I did do it I did it I, I, I did it I went from not being able to run for a bus to running a marathon in six months. And th- right, so this is what your new book is all about, which is yeah. Fun, yeah. by the yeah. way. Yeah. And just FYI, I've now run two. Yeah, two. And that's in just over a year. And I'm running another one in three weeks. Ridiculous, by the way. You could do um, it. I I know I couldn't. You I, could. And I like
0: running, I but, know, that but that, that seems but you, ridiculous to me. But, like,
1: so many people say to me, like, I, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, no, you could like... If I got a pound for every time someone said to me I couldn't do that, I would like not be sitting here. No. I would be in Barbados. I'd be in Barbados. (laughs) Yeah. Chilling out. out. Conversant. Having a great time. Yeah.
0: So your new book, wait, am I gonna get this right? Eat, drink, run. Eat drink run. Yeah. Is brilliant. I read it in about two days. Um, well, I love you and I love running and it's very, very funny. Um, and you do have a seminal moment where you go from someone who has literally never run, you're wearing Converse, to going, this is brilliant. Mm. Running is the best. Mm. How and when did that happen and, and what was the thought process oh, at that moment?
1: God. Like, just hearing you say that, I feel like I'm going to cry. Like, I can't tell you how much running has changed my life. Like, running has got me sober. It's, got, it's, it's given me everything back. And, like, oh, it's given me things I didn't even know I had. And, and at the at the start, you know, running for me, was about, it was about losing things. It was about losing weight. That was what I was thinking. And, actually, it's got no, it's nothing to do with losses and everything to do with gains. And I just did, you know, bit by bit. Literally just put one foot in front of the other, you know. And, really, anyone can run. Anyone with two functioning legs can run, you know. And... You don't have to run fast, I don't run fast, and I but I do it, and I get out there, and I don't know it was like I was doing like I just literally did couch to 5K, and there was like this woman like with this American voice who I was like, I imagined her name was Kimberly, and she had like swishy sex hair, yeah and, you know, and I, and I remember someone saying to me, "You've got to be able to run 10K by Christmas." and I was like, "Yeah I didn't know how I was going to do that. like 10K was like. I didn't even know how far that was, but it sounded like a long way, and I was thinking, yeah. And I was like, I don't know how. I, again, I was like, I don't know how to work. Sent me to this um, boot camp in Ibiza called the Body Camp, right? And I turned up there, and I they stuck me on this these scales that like could do measure everything, like. Your, bo- your body fat, your, how hydrated you were, your metabolism. Like, the only thing they couldn't do is, like, see into your soul. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like my metabolic age was, like, 54. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, does it tell you how long I've, I've got left to live? Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was <laughs> awful. And I, but I had a real moment that week where I, I realised, because I always used to think if I went out and did exercise, people would laugh at me. Like they would be like you can 't do that, get back in the house fatty and i well, I realized that week because there were loads of super fit people on that on that thing, but that no one else cares, and actually everyone wants good for, you know they, they want the best view and everyone's everyone's there in that workout class for their own reasons Mm. and they're not looking at you, you know. God, it was like, oh, my God, the world does not revolve around me. (laughs) Still, I find it very hard to get. Mm -hmm. And it was really empowering, though, because when I got back, I was like, okay, I can go to classes and I cannot, I, I don't have to worry and I can learn and it's... And I just, I don't know, it was, like, bit by bit. Like, I didn't go from not being able to b- run for a bus to, like, being able to run a marathon. And, like, you know, it was, like, it was a really progressive thing. Ooh. And then suddenly it was the day before Christmas Eve and I ran 10K. And I was, like, I honestly thought, I was, like, I can't believe it. And then I was, like, hang on, I've got to do that another three times. I was, like, fuck. But, you know, the amazing thing about marathon training is that each week you do a little bit more and each week you do... You, you show your body that you can do more than it the week, could the week before so before you know it you know like I remember when I got to half marathon point and I got to the end of that half marathon and so this is and I literally was like if you asked me to run that distance again I would have used what energy I had left to stamp on your fucking head <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it was like, and it was like seven weeks away in a marathon and I was thinking,
0: horrendous.
1: I was like, I'm going to die again. I was like, where's my Tommy tippy cup? But then, and then I get, and then it was like two weeks before the marathon, I ran 20 miles.
0: Which is ridiculous. I just got up
1: one morning, Friday morning at like six and I ran 20 miles and then I went to a meeting and then I went to the pub with my mates and then I woke up in the morning and I did not ache a bit of my body age right and um and by this point I was a very svelte 14 and a half stone do you know what I mean like so we're not talking like the the transformation was not like oh my god it's Giselle do you know what I mean like I'm still quite a big girl but I could do it and I remember going and I remember this is the batshit crazy thing I remember getting to the end of that 20 miles and being like oh I've only got to do another 10k on that piece of piss and like you say For a lot of people, you think of exercise,
0: oh, you're going to get toned calves and a strong core, and I might beat my personal best. But actually, if you love running, or any type of being outdoors exercise, as gentle as it is how the benefits for your mental health, Mm. whether you're having a tough time or not, are huge. And I certainly, especially with running, there's something about running where, so, you know, I've not done a marathon, I've done one half, and that was
1: ridiculous as it is. Which is enough, by the way. You don't have to do a marathon. I'm happy
0: with that. But I do go, you know, and do three to five miles whenever I can. And I really enjoy it. And I feel like that I'm sort of done after five, and I'm very happy to stop there. But there is a sense of sort of moving on from things, you know, Mm. you are geographically moving and it feels like you can sort of shed thoughts, you know, uh, bad habits. I think that movement really propels you in the right direction. And like you say, that sense of achievement I've got out of the house Mm. or I've got out of that headspace and it's. You know, a moment you can actually feel and acknowledge, rather than you going, "Right, I'm going to set myself a rule. I'm not going to think about this anymore." You are physically making a concerted effort of change. Mm. Why do you think it, it impacts your mental health in, in such a positive way? What feelings do you do you get from the physical sense of running?
1: I think you know, it's the feeling the blood pumping. It's the it's the kind of it's just the feeling alive. You know, a feeling connected to. Sounds so cheesy, but like. Feeling part of the world, mm. like I go out and I run and I feel like a functioning human being, even if I'm not. And you know, when I'm not feeling great in my head, I, you know, my illness just wants me like inside. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't want me connected with the world. But also, when I'm running, it's like, you know, like especially when we're, like doing the the marathon that time. Like, I remember getting to about mile twenty two and you know, like hitting the wall or whatever the fucking wall is, you know, and being like, this is like fucking heinous. Will this ever be over? And catching myself because I knew I was like, yes, it's really hard to run long distance. It's really hard to run 26.2 miles. But there is no way it's harder than the days when I haven't been able to move at all because of the weight of depression or OCD or whatever on me. You just know it's not harder than that. It's actually when I'm out there, it feels like a privilege. Like, I feel a bit... Like, I don't know why I'm getting emotional thinking about it. It's a, it's a fucking privilege because mm. it's, I just feel so fucking grateful that I'm not inside in my own sweat and self-loathing. Mm. Because you know what, Fern? I have spent a lot of time in my own sweat and self-loathing and I'm done with it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so when I run, it's like... It's not about a personal best for me. Just being able to get out of the house. You know, I'm a really slow runner, you know? It's Is there also
0: like a sense of... And it is a very
1: bespoke
0: feeling that you get from exercise or running. But for me, I certainly like to have order in my life because I do feel quite out of control in some situations Mm. or panicked about things or I feel like I want to be in control of things but I know I can't be. But having that sort of simple discipline, Mm. and it is usually running, you know, that's something that is very easy, free, I can do it whenever I want, you know, if my husband's around, I can go in the morning before the school run if I get up super early, or I can nip out if I've got half an hour between doing things. But having that really simple discipline makes me feel like I'm on the right track to somewhere and I don't know where. Mm. And if that's missing, I feel like there's a very thin veneer between my ordered life that I think is very organised and ordered and absolute mayhem. And it's sort of a weird marker for that, that if I Mm. miss it... Everything's going to shit. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not, but it's definitely become a real safety blanket for me in that way. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like a stru- it's, it's a structure. It's, yeah, yeah.
1: Like and also that thing, like I thought I thought that like when I saw people out running that they really wanted to go for I thought that everyone that runners all leapt out of bed and went, Woohoo, let's go run! You know, and then I realise that that's not what happens. Like, I don't wake up and think I want to go for a run. I don't think I, many people do. But I, but I have to go for a run. Yeah, right. And because I know I'll never, reg- I've never regretted going for a run no. ever. So it is that thing of like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't fucking want to do this. I want to stay in bed, wanking and watching Netflix you know? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Or other sad. examples. <laughs> yeah. Eating cereal whilst reading the papers.
0: What, how do you mitigate that? Yeah. She will come out with the worst possible case scenario.
1: What, um, <laughs> not while watching Netflix. But, no, but I mean, like, I, want to, I just want to like Whatever say, order it um, comes in. And, uh, yeah, how do you thing. mitigate that mental
0: chatter? Because I think all of us have that, not just with exercise or things that aren't, as desirable as wanking and watching Netflix (laughs) but if there is something you've got to do like it is something that's hard work it is something that requires a bit of determination and digging deep how do you personally mitigate that mental
1: chatter okay so I've got what I have got into my what I do now is I tell myself my brain does not want always want the best for me in fact quite often my brain wants the worst for me you know all of the kind of things I've learnt, the coping mechanisms I've learnt, actually make me are actually make me feel worse. So mm. staying in bed, wanking, watching Netflix, <laughs> or, you know, like taking drugs, drinking, yeah. um, not exercising, like so. When I don't want to do something now, it's pretty much then I just get up and fucking do it. Mm. You have to almost bypass the brain bit yeah. and just physically so I want to get literally, out. I literally, almost like imagine you've got an autopilot button and just go yeah. and just get up and go like, I don't want to do this. Who cares? Just do it. Do it. Because like, I, and, but the worst, and also I say to myself, okay, what's the worst that happens? The worst that happens is you go out of the house and you don't, and you get, I don't know, you get 15 minutes into a run and you decide you don't like it and you turn back, the bed's still going to be, Netflix is still going to be there. Yeah. You know, your vagina. (laughs) She can't stop now. She keeps going back to it. (laughs) Um, But do you know what I mean? Like, what's the worst that happened? Your bed's still going to be there and it's, so just try it. Yeah. Because it's, and also it's never, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. So I, and I, and I've just learned that I have to literally put one foot in front of the other and point my feet in the right direction and then, go that way. And it's not instinctively what I want to do, but it is what I have to do. So let's cut
0: to your second marathon, where you decided to up the ante Mm. by not only running it again, but running it in your undercrackers. Yes. (laughs) Which, by the way, was the coolest move ever. I Mm. saw you a week after the marathon, you came to my house and... The thing that you seemed most surprised about was the crazy positive stir that this caused. Like, obviously people are going to go, oh, this is different, you're in your underwear. But it wasn't people just looking and going, look, she's in a bra and knickers. It was the fact they were going, this is amazing you're doing this because I don't like my body. Mm. And the fact that you're doing this and you're being celebratory and accepting of what you look like makes me want to do the same. Mm. And that you found that shocking that so many people felt like that.
1: Oh, my God. It, it was like, it really blew me away how many people... And people that were running the marathon, so people whose bodies were capable of taking them great long distances, were coming up and going, Oh, my God, thank you. This is, you know, this is this is great. This is... I, I would never be able to do that. And it was, you know, it's really interesting because I did it with my friend, this girl called Jada Cesar, who's a plus-size model and we kind of we didn't originally plan to do it in our underwear she just really wanted to do a marathon and she couldn't she couldn't believe like we only met about a year ago and it was just after I'd done my first marathon and she literally couldn't get her head around the fact that I had done a marathon and it wasn't that she was like don't you're lying it was that she didn't think that girls our size could do marathons And she was like, so I could do a marathon? I was like, yeah, you could do a marathon. She was like, will you do it with me? I was like, oh God, here we go again. (laughs) And then we sort of started training. And then in February, we were like, what if we did it in our underwear to really prove the point? You know, that runners' bodies come in all different shapes and sizes. Because also the underwear thing, we weren't... we were wearing like, it wasn't like sexy underwear. Do you know what I mean? It was like a big sports bra, black sports bra, black knickers, you know, kind of what the elite women wear all the time. But you know, it was really interesting how people reacted to it. Like, there were a lot of people that you could tell they wanted to kind of, congrac- you know, go, yeah, this is great, but they couldn't quite get their heads around it. So, you've got a lot of people on Instagram going, but have you thought about the chafing? As if we had, you know, you should get a proper sports bra. I'm like, this is a proper sports bra. Yeah, go away. You know, and then, you know, people going, you know, have you thought about training properly? And I'm like, what you-? you know, it was like people couldn't quite, they were like trying to show their concern But it was really interesting. Like, people just couldn't get their heads around seeing bodies that looked a bit different to, you know, how we are... that we're used to seeing in the mainstream media. But actually, then, we went on... We got invited on Good Morning Britain the weekend, like, Friday before the marathon. Shep was loving life. So we went on, and Ben Shepard was like, he's loving it. What? But, oh, my God, like... A, I didn't know... I mean, I knew lots of people watched Good Morning Britain, but I didn't know quite how many of people watched Good Morning Britain. And then it was just insane, like, the the kind of messages on social media. And then on the actual day, people that we didn't... Know, you know, strangers and made banners for us, you know. And it wasn't, like, pervy old men. Do you know what I mean? It was, like, yeah. women. It was, like, young women. Yeah. and And it was... It was just, it was insane. And, you know, as a marathon, it was way harder than the last one. It was boiling. It was a silly hot day. It was was really hot. But also, I think I'd slightly, like, I was a bit cocky. I was like, (laughs) I've run one before. I don't need to do that much training. (laughs) Oh, yes, I did. Like, it was, Mm. like, it was like, do you ever have that nightmare where you're, like, being made to redo your A-levels or GCSEs or something and you've done no revision? Mm, Mine's playing on stage with a really famous band. I can't play the guitar. It's that feeling of... Oh, fuck, yeah. But that's, that's yeah, that, that's because you're, like, father-in-law is in a really famous band. <laughs> is it? I don't know, I've been having it a long Your time. Your husband is as well. <laughs> Awkward, sat there. <laughs> um, is it? No, yeah, that, no, funnily enough, no, I don't get dreams yeah, have that like one. that. No, um, no. they no, the other Yeah, yeah. But what, I'm um, no, that was, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Uh, mm. It's like kind of, it's literally being... No like, preparation yeah. and exposure. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so, the... The feeling that, you know, there is there's a huge sense, I think, for for most women out there. And Mm. we can point fingers and blame the media or social media or whatever um, or historically how women have been represented. But there is I mean, I'm I'm not going to make you put your hands up because it's cringy, to say the least. But I'm pretty sure most people in this room, room, perhaps women and men, will not like a bit of their body, perhaps hate all of it. And I definitely would throw my hands in the air and say, yep, I feel Mm. like that. And, I th- and, it's, and it's very rarely a physical thing. It's much more a mental thing and a state of mind about how you feel about yourself. But we've perhaps been driven to focus on our bodies more than men have. And mm. for that to be something, again, going back to shame or feeling alienated or different. And I don't think there's many exceptions to that
1: rule, unfortunately. But I also think that it's, you know, it's also because historically we haven't, se- we've only seen one type of body. Mm. You know, and if you don't, and if you don't see people that look like you in the mainstream media, you know, you can start to think, oh, I should be looking like that. Why am I not looking mm. like that? You know, and it's the same. It's why representation is so important with colour, with, you know, it's 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 so, 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 so important. And um, I... I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And the funny thing is, is that I, you know, I have had real body issues and I just don't now. I really don't. In fact, I feel much like, I feel more uncomfortable sitting here in this, I'm wearing like a big skirt and some gold heels and a top. I would feel much more comfortable sitting in my underwear mm. because it's just me. And the, the times when my head goes into like, you know, you're shit, you're ugly is when I'm being made to dress up and put loads of makeup on. Mm. And you know, my thing now is I just, I, like, cane the, I cane the sort of, like, the underwear selfies on Instagram. Like, I put one up this afternoon when I was sitting by the pool at, at, here at Babington House, you know, because, you know, my tummy was out, my, you know, and I was like, they've this, because it's it's fucking ludicrous, the the amount of negative energy we waste. I know thinking bad things about our body and I realized that I spent most of my life thinking about the things my body couldn't do you know so like as a child I couldn't do a handstand I couldn't do a cartwheel I couldn't get into the netball A team and then as a teenager I couldn't you know like I I, my eyebrows couldn't look the way they they're supposed to I couldn't I couldn't attract the right boys I couldn't you know and then I didn't I couldn't feel the right way and then my hair started falling out and you know it went on and on and even to my like you know, I'm in my late thirties now, but when I had my daughter, I was like I, even then I felt like a failure because I couldn't give birth naturally and ended up having an emergency C-section and then I couldn't feed her with my boobs because they were so big, she was like the first person to ever turn away from them screaming in horror. <laughs> and like and I was like, Oh, just this endless what can't I do mm. with my body? My body is useless, my body is failing me. And then what I got from the running was this thing of what I could do with my body.
0: So, it, so is it... Because I think most women listening to this, and again, me included, would go, but how do you get to that place? Because I'm certainly not there where I go, I love my body. A lot of time I don't like it and I do no. look at the negative. So is it purely running that has got you no, to that place? No, it's just
1: faking it until you make it, yeah. you know? And it's like going fuck off to the voice in my head. Yeah. like fuck off, I don't, I just don't want to waste any more of my time thinking negatively about a body that has, keeps, it continues to keep me alive, touch wood, do you know what I mean? It, you know, it's gone, just, just (laughs) that'd be a great end to the podcast though, wouldn't it? Okay, absolutely brilliant. (laughs) But you know, like, I've had a baby, you know, you've had two children, you know, you're wonderful, you've got, you've had a fantastic career, you've created a beautiful family, you know, there's all, you've written, like, how many books, have you written, Firm? I look like a twat now, but I really can't remember. You know, but, like, you have done so many amazing things. And, you know, I think in this, I think certainly people of our generation we sort of grown up to think that self-love or self-care was a really bad thing mm. and well, it's, it was, it's very
0: un-British thing isn't yeah. it to have self-care and self-love and it's
1: arrogant yeah or she's full of herself you know and actually it's, it's not, not about that. it's not about going oh my god I've written this many books it's about going god actually I am okay I'm, yeah you I'm know right. and I and I just I'm so I just don't want to waste any more time feeling you know I've wasted so much I've lost so much time to the mm. inner critic in my head. I I missed great chunks of my daughter's early years because I wanted to blot out that inner critic by getting fucked up, you know. And I I, I am not going to lose any more to it. I'm just mm. not. And I, and I don't care. You know, I, as I was getting dressed to come down here, I was thinking, oh, look, I look like a bit of a twat. And I was thinking, I don't care. Like, literally, I could have... I should have just come down here in my dressing gown because, <laughs> actually, it doesn't matter. Like... You know, I don't think any of you are thinking about what I look like. If you are thinking negatively, well then frankly, I don't you know like what like it's just that thing of like I don't you're right, I don't think people do. Like you no. go back to
0: my when you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me in this health camp whatever. Everyone's got shit going on and is yeah. worrying about, "God, should I've done that earlier or what?" You know, it, we are all in our own heads so much. Yeah. And again, I guess going back to the running, that is very much not in your head that is a physical movement it's the blood pumping it's looking at the environment you're in and for all of us especially in the digital age where we're so focused on these small screens and then analyzing what we've seen processing it digesting it actually doing something that is very exterior and something that isn't in these brains Mm. is so good for all of us to do
1: Yeah, and I think also when we're on our deathbeds, you know, me in about two minutes. (laughs) But look, I'm not going to like kind of look back and think, God, I really wish I'd spent more time hating on my body. I really wish I'd spent more time like dieting or, you know, like I try and eat well. I, you know, I am just a bigger girl and that's fine. You know, I, I, I you know I I just think I try to be kind to myself because Mm. it's just otherwise it's look this is just like for example right now we're sitting in this lovely room with all these lovely faces and outside the most beautiful setting and I feel like you know a year like a year ago even I would have been sitting by that pool going oh god I feel like so insignificant and you know what's the point instead Mm. I had a nice chat on the phone to a mate I read a bit of my book you know Played some Candy Crush, I didn't really play Candy Crush. And also I think then,
0: in turn, for all of us, once you get to that place, and it hasn't got to be like full acceptance of yourself because we're always going to have things that worry us and trouble us. But actually the confidence that you then exude or the things that you're capable of are so much greater because Mm. you're loving yourself, you're caring about yourself Mm. and therefore you can give that to other people fully
1: but also I think it's that thing you know how you said like how do you get to the stage of loving your body and you know you mentioned the word confidence and I hate you know do you remember like we always used on the front of magazines it was like you know tips to body confidence and like I don't have like I don't love there are bits of my body I don't I don't it's acceptance, I but for I just all of us. yeah, and I accept that I that I I'm but I I I accept that I have these thoughts, but I just try and sit there and watch them go by, and yeah. I don't like attach myself to them and ride with them and let those thoughts get bigger and, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then get like into like a thought hole where I'm you know and I spend all this time. I just go okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cellulite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fat ass. Yeah. Yeah, flabby tummy, yeah, all that. Um, and I'm like, keep going if you need to, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kind of rise to the bait. Mm. So I think you know, a question that we will all ruminate
0: on at some point is, you know, how does this change get bigger? How is this not just Briny sat here saying this so eloquently, but how is this across the board? You know, thinking for women. And I think it has to start with us, doesn't it? We all have to start thinking that, but it can't be social media needs to be this or the media needs to do this. It, it, that can be a bit of it, but it yeah. also has to be us starting with ourselves and then that mm. growing and us teaching our children to think in the same way. And then we'll look back, at, you know, this time now, and God, how archaic and ridiculous the way that we thought about mm. women and and that will be perhaps an incremental change as the generations go
1: on. I really do think of that thing like be be the change you want to see. Yeah. You know? I when I was getting changed here, um, in the there was a little girl. She's probably about nine, ten. She stood on the scales. and She said, "Mummy, I'm six stone now." And I went, "Oh my god!" She was like, "I was five stone." The and I was like, "You're growing because you're young." Yeah. You know, and I and I just thought. And I, and I wasn't, that was no judgment on the mother or the, you know, but I was like, I can't, you know, it's again, it's just like where we are just from generation to generation, we've kind of passed down this shit and this self-loathing. And, you know, I see it in my mum. I saw it in my grandmother. I'm sure she saw it in her mother and and onwards and onwards it goes. And it's just, it's just bullshit. It's total bullshit. And it, you know, it's... And so I think that it's about... And I do... You know, when people talk about social media, I think it's really interesting because I love social media because I, fo- I don't follow i don't know twats i don't yeah i don't don't follow twats i just follow you basically thanks and i follow but do you know what i mean like i follow a variety of people who look different and i don't i don't follow i don't tend to follow people who like photoshop bits of their body out when they're already like stick you know and i follow thin people and i follow fat people and i you know and i'm not just like i'm like it's all so and i because i also i get a lot i get a lot is like women who are really tiny going oh god I feel really bad because I'm not you know I'm not curvy you know it's this is just shit is endless yeah. do you know what I mean the grass is always greener and it's mm-hmm. like just but and and I and so and I, but I also think what's really great about social media is that it's allowing people um with different body shapes to kind of like put put that out there And yeah. so that's why I will just continue to kind of um you know show show myself warts and all because it's you know it it, it's just life's too short you know it is
0: it is and as a you know agenda we've spent far too long thinking about this shit and there's so many brilliant other things to be thinking about in life
1: yeah and that's not to say that like I don't spend time like I think oh I'd like to buy a nice skirt or put makeup on like I do that stuff because I like it you know I do like a lipstick and I do like a but it's but it has to be a line that we draw with ourselves yeah like I like to feel when I come and do something like this presented brawl and you know and like I'm not haven't just been like dragged here back through a hedge or you know but um uh, but there's yeah there's the kind of you know let's not take it I don't want to take it to the extremes Mm. and start shoving needles in my well I say that (laughs) give me five years I'll be like, oh, yeah, so Bryony, your latest book about how I learned to love plastic <laughs> surgery. <laughs> but no, I I, I I, just think, you know, just be yourself. Just yeah. be you. Because- what you
0: do on Instagram is amazing. I love following you. And it's just, it's just being authentic, isn't it? Being real and not yeah.
1: being scared to be you. But also because I was scared to be me, for a very fucking long time I was scared to be me. And I, I thought I was a freak and I... And I didn't want to tell anyone about the stuff in my head. And guess what? The moment I really told people about the stuff in my head, people start to really like me. <laughs> like, my success, my career, everything, has taken off since I told people about me. Mm. Like, someone get Like, you gave me an award last year, do you I remember? Did. A of, massive a, one. A Mind Award. I'm sorry was, like, was there again. It's <laughs> always uh, there. But, you know, like, I was... You know, but even that moment where he was, you know, si- we were sitting on a sofa much like this one, um, and... You know, he was telling me about this stuff and I was like, fuck me. Like, this is, this, this is, and this has come from me being honest honest, about my own shit. And look at how that, the the ripple effect Mm. of that... And so I would just say to anyone listening either in the room right now or out there, you know, who's downloaded this on 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 Apple or Acast or whatever, do we have to put all that hook in? Can do <laughs> it all helps. Um, um, but like and who's rated and reviewed it. Yeah, um, please leave a review. Yeah. But like, you know, don't like don't don't waste your fucking time trying to be yeah. different.
0: Well, cuz it's interesting, you know, not only the honesty but also when you stop with a constant resistance, because we're all, you know, that resistance in life um, to ourselves, to the problems in our heads, to the things we're ashamed of, that just closes us in even more and keeps mm. us more shut down. And then you don't, you know, whether it's reaching your full potential or trying new things or whatever, but, you know, as you've perfectly demonstrated, all of this amazing stuff has unravelled mm. simply from you just saying what you believe and saying yeah. Yeah,
1: and you don't have a story to, and you don't have to be in a sorted place to say it do you know what I mean like yeah. when i stood up on that stage and got that award i was i was 90 days sober mm. do you know what i mean like you know and it and it you know this shit is it just keeps going life keeps going and you learn stuff as you go along and you know it's it's Marvelous and magical, and sometimes it's fucking shit. Do you know what I mean? But it's not always fucking shit, yeah. and that's what I've learned. Is like just ride it out, ride it out. You know, like these these times don't always last. You know, and so when I so enjoy them while well, they are great, and just deal with them when they're not. Yeah, you know? so there's always going to be shit bits. It's important. Yeah. You can't have a life without shit. No, bits. so I kind of Impossible. think it's not like I don't. I don't like. What I don't yearn for is is like to be happy all the time. Yeah. But what I what I really want is to have a toolkit to, to be able to God, I sound really recovered, don't I? Like a toolkit What's in your toolkit? My mm. toolkit. Um Spanner. some fags. Yeah. <laughs> some coffee. But no, but like you know, like I, I just I wanna like I don't I don't I don't wanna like cure mental illness, but I want to my kid to grow up in a in a world where she Feels that she can talk about stuff in her head as much as she would say a tummy ache. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Bryony Gordon. I...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I I feel that if there wasn't an audience here who needed to get home or have dinner, yeah. like it would be, you know, like the. Did to... I go past my 10pm curfew? I'm pretty sure. I need to be better otherwise. Be, I we'd the be like that so, that preacher at the royal wedding. <laughs> <I> <laughs> We've just not mentioned so a royal thing. wedding again. <laughs> we, I literally feel, because Fern did my podcast and it was like, the producer had to be like...
0: Yeah, can you shut the F up? Yeah. You
1: know, like, I could just sit and chat. So thank Great. you so thank you. much. And thank you for being my... Thank you for, you know, becoming my friend. And, and thank you, everyone, for coming. Thanks, guys. That was so lovely. That was so
0: what did I tell you? An absolute hero. Thank you, Briony Gordon. If you enjoyed that, and I hope you did, then you should definitely check out her book, Each Drink Run, which is excellent, and her podcast, Briony Gordon's Mad World, and the all-new show, Briony Gordon's If I Can Do It. Check it out. Next week on this podcast, we have got the brilliant Henry Fraser. People always kind of compare their lives to other people, but it's not about... I never once compared myself to people that were worse off than me in the hospital, I just thought about my life separately because it's, it's kind of everyone thinks about it differently, everyone has a different life and it's just finding those things in your life. Get it as soon as it's ready when you subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more. Just search Happy Place on any podcast app and get new episodes as they drop. Until next week, thanks again to Bryony, our producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio and to you lovely people for listening. I'll see you next week. ta